Take your Bible tonight and turn to Song of Solomon, chapter 1. Song of Solomon, chapter 1. I believe I've preached some from Song of Solomon here. Uh, A couple years ago, I went through the book studying Song of Solomon um, for personal reasons, for my reasons. Um, I never... I never questioned God's love for me. I never, uh, never necessarily strayed from God, but I really began studying the book um, for more of a reality of God's love and the Lord's love for the church. And I found really more than than I was looking for when I went through the book. Of course, that's that's usual when you get into Scripture. You always find more than you're looking for. Uh, if you look at the entire book and do read the book sometime this week, it's not very long. But I didn't just see his love for us. We see his love for us from Genesis to Revelation, all through the scriptures, do we not? Uh, from opening to close, we see his love for us. But I, what really stood out to me the most is her love for him and how she returns her love to him. And. That's what hit me, and uh, at Sand Springs, we just started the Song of Solomon a couple weeks ago, because that's what I want the church to experience. I felt the church has been through some hardships over the past year and a half, and really all of our churches have. It's tough when you don't come in here, and you see the smiles on people's faces, and you get to talk to everybody, and fellowship with everybody. We met on the parking lot. And it was great to be able to meet every week and to sit under the Word as normal, but you miss out on the fellowship. First thing uh, um, that Brother Chris does is throws out his arms to give you a hug. You know, and that's, that's the fellowship we have here at Charity. You miss those sorts of things. You miss the contact, the one-on-one, face-to-face. And so all churches really have been through some hardships the past year and a half. They've been through some things, and, and it really has been on my heart to bring them back focused on, on the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just what he's done for us, but how our love should be returned to him. If you, uh, you folks that are married, if you come in every day and you never speak to your spouse, or you speak to, him, to them in passing, to him or to her, then there will be a period there where there may not be doubt uh, there may not be uh, coldness, but there there may be a drifting away. You know, they they may begin to wonder: is is our relationship where it ought to be? And so, the Song of Solomon is about the church, which is the bride, and the king, which is the Lord. And so, not only do you see his love for her, but you see how she returns her love to him. She longs for him. She looks for him. Her only desire is Him, is to be with Him and to be close to Him. And, and people read through the Song of Solomon, and there's, there's some somewhat graphic uh, things there. And if you have a carnal mind, you'll drift in that manner. Uh, a Hebrew young man was not allowed to read the book until he was 30 years of age because he was not considered mature enough to handle the book. But honestly, in your, in your, in your own personal relationships with your spouse is there not affection there even your relationship with your children is there not affection 
I mean, I make a point that every night that I'm with the boys to hug them and to kiss them. I mean, they're uh, the youngest two are in their teenage years now, but Daddy still kisses them, and he tells them, I love you every night. And even Tyler, when we part ways, I hug him, and I tell him I love him. Grace is now part of the family, whether she wants to be or not. She got all of us, not just Tyler, but I hug her. She's my daughter. I consider her my daughter, one of my children. And so there's affection there with those that you really love, those that you're really close to. I mentioned the, the affection in our church. When, uh, when Brother Chris and I hug each other, that's affection towards one another. New Testament says to greet one another with a holy kiss. Ben actually did that. Now, we, we don't run around doing that today. Think people may question our church and our relationship if you do, but the, the point is when you really love someone, you show affection to them. And that's why the Song of Solomon includes that, because there's a natural affection that is shown between those that you really love. And if you look at the book and how she looks for him, and she longs for him, and she wants to be with him, that's the way our love ought to be returned to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we spent several weeks, we we preached on verse 5 and 6, week before last, And we won't have time to go through all of that today, but there's something at the end of verse 6 that I'd like to go back and look at tonight and share with you. At the end of verse 6, when you find Song of Solomon chapter 1, stand, if you can. We'll read verse 6. Song of Solomon chapter 1, verse 6. She says, Look not upon me because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me. She she labors outside. Uh, Some of this is descendancy of her ethnicity. But also, she says there, the sons looked upon me, and so it made me black. But then she says, my mother's children were angry with me. Uh, There's a a contrast there in verse 5 between her and the daughters of Jerusalem. I believe she was an Egyptian. You go back to the book of Kings, you'll find that Solomon's first love and his real love was an Egyptian daughter, Egyptian Pharaoh's daughter. And I believe this to be her. But she says, my mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards. But mine own vineyard have I not kept. I'd like to look at the end of verse 6 tonight where she says, they made me the keeper of the vineyards, but mine own vineyard have I not kept. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to be here tonight. Lord, we thank you for the sweet fellowship in our church. I pray, dear God, that you'd help us to always... Um, do the best that we can to, to, to mend that, to keep that, to hold that dear to our hearts. Lord, thank you for the, for the love that you've, that you've given me, that you've shown me. But God, the love that we have one toward another because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Even people in other churches, Lord, we have a, we have a common bond and a love towards one another because of what you've done for us. Lord, I thank you so much for that. And I pray that you would help us tonight, Lord, to... Uh, through the through the Word of God and through the Holy Spirit that resides inside us, uh, to to express our love towards you, and to be mindful, Lord, that uh, that we are to long to see you and long to be with you, and and it shouldn't be a burdensome task to do the things that you've called us to do, and and to be the Christians that we're supposed to be, but God, that it ought to be ought to be something that just comes automatic. Lord, we thank you for being long suffering and patient. We thank you, Lord, for uh, just being so good to us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
All right, you may be seated. She says, but mine own vineyard have I not kept. And uh, again, the, the idea is for our love to grow and for our love to be expressed back to the Lord Jesus Christ. And she says here, they made me the keeper of their vineyards. And, and she's implying that she took care of their vineyards. She looked after their vineyards, but she neglected something. And that was her own vineyard. You can't minister to someone and you can't help someone and you can't encourage someone if you haven't tended to your own vineyard. We all need personal growth. We all need a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm talking about after salvation. I'm taking for granted that you understand the fact that that you're born again. If there's somebody here tonight that's not saved, today is the day of salvation. I would encourage you to, to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, to repent and to be saved tonight. But you that are saved, you can't. You can minister to people and you can help people, but not to the fullest extent. And I, I find this really in pastors' lives. And, and I made the statement earlier tonight about Brother Merritt and other preachers that need to get away. There's times they need to get away because they get so caught up in the ministry and so caught up in, in the direction of the church and the different ministries of the church, and in helping other people. You call Brother Merritt in the middle of the night, he's there. He's there on the phone, or if he needs to meet you somewhere, he'll meet you there. If he needs to be at the hospital, he'll go to the hospital. And so preachers, for the most part, are so concerned with their church that a lot of them neglect their own selves, and they neglect their own families. There has to be a keeping of their own vineyard. And it's not just preachers. Preachers are the one that stands out the most to me because we were around so many preachers at Taylorsville. Those, those men came bearing burdens. Their wives were carrying burdens. They needed that preaching. They needed that help that they got last week. But you as a church, you say, well, I'm, I'm not a preacher, so that doesn't apply to me. It does apply to you. You understand that this bride is the church. It's not just the preachers that are being addressed here. It's the entire church. We have to keep our own vineyard. If you're going to minister to someone and are going to, and going to help them to the fullest extent, you're going to have to make sure you're squared away first. You're going to have to make sure that you're in a position where you can be the help that they need. So many times we, we offer help or we offer encouragement or we offer counseling if something's asked of us or a question is asked of us and, and we tell them the right answers. But if it's, not, if it's not wrapped in love and grace, then it doesn't do them the fullest extent of the good that they need. We neglect so many times the grace that God has shown to us. And so tonight I want to encourage you to look at your own vineyard. And then looking, looking at this text and studying some things, uh, I looked up and, and, and learned really a lot more about vineyards than I ever expected to learn. But I did a good bit of studying and research as to how to build a vineyard. And more importantly, how to keep a vineyard. Because that's what she's telling us that she neglected here. I learned that you have to have good ground. You have to have good ground in a, in a, in a, in a vineyard. And anybody that's ever done any sort of gardening or any 
uh, farming on a large scale, you understand that. You can't plant the same crop year after year on the same ground. You have to give it time to, you have to let it lay dormant for a while, and you have to fertilize it, and you have to take care of the ground. It has to be good ground in order for, it to, in order for the crops to grow. And so Matthew uh, chapter 13 talks about good ground. And we, we always use that text as far as sowing the seed and the good ground as far as salvation. But I don't believe it stops there because Matthew chapter 13 verse 23, Jesus says, He that understandeth it. And when you take the word of God, you can, you can hear it. But if you don't take it to heart and understand it, it doesn't do you any good. If you leave out of here tonight and you drive home and you're thinking about Mississippi State and Vanderbilt and the baseball game, or you're thinking about work tomorrow, and you don't think about anything that's said here tonight, you've missed it. That's why I take notes during preaching. All last week I took notes. And a lot of times I do write down the outlines. It's not because I want to steal some other preacher's outline and have something to preach. It's because they say things that I want to remember. I want to go home and look over those notes. Brother, Brother Bumgardner, there were two Brother Bumgardners that preached, but Brother Jeremy Bumgardner was the younger that preached, and he made a statement when he preached, uh, I believe it was Tuesday morning, but he was talking about looking. His text was, look and be saved, and he, he went through the scriptures of, of people, men and women in the scriptures that looked to God, looked to the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and he, meant, he brought up Paul. And at the time, Saul of Tarsus, he, he was talking about Saul when he was converted. He said a, a vision of the Lord or an appearance, an unexpected appearance of the Lord brought about an expected appearance of the Lord. And he was talking about Saul before he was converted, confronted on the road to Damascus by the Lord Jesus. That was an unexpected appearance. But from that day on, he was looking for an expected appearance of Jesus Christ. Paul believed that the Lord would come in his day. I take notes because I want to remember things like that. I want it to stick in my mind. I want it to stick in my heart. Brother Josh Bird preached, and he, and he was, um, I can't remember his text right off the top of my head. I would have to go back and look at my notes. But he, he was preaching about uh, visiting Israel. And he said, you know, it's not the things that I saw that stuck out to me the most. It's the things that I didn't see when I was there. And he brought up the fact that as, as Jesus was, was going out to be crucified and he crossed the, uh, the, the brook there at, at Kidron Valley, all those years of sacrifices in the temple, the blood would flow down and would flow through that brook and flow down that brook. But from that day on, from Calvary on, there was no more blood that would flow in that brook. And that just stuck out to me. It's something I never thought of before. Because the sacrifice had been made. Jesus had shed his blood. There was no more need for sacrifice. Things like that stick out in your mind. Take notes. Take your phone if you don't have a piece of paper and make those notes and go back and look over them. Because if, you, if, if Brother Merritt's preaching or Brother Kenler's preaching, it doesn't matter who's preaching. But if you leave having heard nothing, then you haven't gained anything. And that's what the Lord's talking about there when he's talking about good ground. He that understandeth it, that's good ground. I also learned that 
um, that it's a year-round labor. Keeping a vineyard is not something you do just when you see the fruit on the vine, you go out and you pull the harvest. It's a year-round labor. And folks, church, it's a year-round labor. If you're going to grow in the grace of God, just like someone is keeping their vineyard, it's year-round, week after week, day after day. That's the way the Christian life is. Don't think, well, I, I don't have to pray today, or I don't have to study today, or church is meeting tonight and we don't have to go. It's a year-round labor, and you're going to have to stay faithful to it. It's a timely investment. It's a timely investment. It takes, on average, 11 to 13 years before you ever see a productive crop when you start a vineyard. It takes four to five years before the vines ever mature to where they'll even start producing, much less produce a proper crop. 11 to 13 years. I, I couldn't help but think of Elijah and Elisha. We believe it's about 13 years that Elisha followed Elijah around before everybody ever heard anything out of him. He was just a crazy guy that followed Elijah around. But yet, when it came time for him to step on the scene, he was ready. There may be times when it seems dull or like there's nothing happening in your life, but stay faithful. Keep the vineyard. Keep the vineyard. Keep the vineyard. And then you'll see the fruit. It takes proper location. Everything from elevation to the main thing that they need is sunlight. Of course, they're referring to S-U-N sunlight. But we need S-O-N sunlight. We need a daily walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, folks. There's not a one of us above sin. Any one of us could slip into sin tomorrow. It takes a daily walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. There are cycles of growth. That's why it's a, a year-round experience, a year-round labor, because there's cycles of growth. We all experience cycles in our lives. We experience cycles in relationships. We experience cycles in churches. We, we went through a very sweet cycle here at Charity. It just seemed like every service was so sweet, and, and it was just what we needed. Well, tonight's service will be just what we need, and next week will be just what we need. But we went through that period to where... Someone would get up and sing, and folks would just hit the altars. Or folks would go to one another, and they'd just hug on each other and love on each other, apologize if there was an apology needed, reassure someone that they, they love one another, if that's what. But you remember that. It was just so sweet for so long. John, we, were, we, were, uh, we left Taylorsville and went down to South Carolina Friday evening and stayed with John and Christy. Um, Friday evening, Saturday, Saturday evening, and went to church with them Sunday. Wonderful service. Their church is experiencing that right now. Their church is going through that cycle. And I told John, I said, it's not always going to be that way. This is just a cycle or a season that you're in. It's the same way in keeping your vineyard. There's going to be seasons and cycles that you're going to go through, but you still have to be faithful in keeping the vineyard. Consultation. Uh, I uh, looked up to California, University of California. They, uh, they do a lot with this and do a lot with vineyards. And they said, talk to everyone that you can. Get all the advice that you can. And so many times we as Christians, we, we, we may not say it verbally, 
but we have the idea that I can handle this. I don't need anybody else. There's no shame in asking advice. There's no shame in asking help. That's what we're here for. We're here to to help one another and to encourage one another. If you're going through something, there's, there's no shame in asking a Christian that's been through it or asking a Christian that's wise that can help you in that. There's no shame in, in consulting with somebody else or asking advice or just the fellowship of the believers. When you're going through a hard time and somebody knows it and they put your arm around you and they tell you, I'm praying for you, we need that, folks. We need it. I'm so thankful for the church. But you're going to have to keep that. You can't just walk away from it. And you can't just just let things happen on their own. We have to be mindful of these things if we're going to keep our vineyard. Three things concerning the text tonight. She said, my own vineyard have I, have I not kept. Three major things concerning keeping a vineyard. First off is predator control. Predator control. Anybody that, that's ever done anything with crops will tell you there's a problem with critters and predators. Uh, weeds, first off. I hated when I was a young man, my, my family, we always had gardens and big gardens because grandma and granddad put up stuff for the winter, right? They ate that corn from the freezer um, <coughs> come wintertime. They ate those peas. They, they ate those canned tomatoes. Well, it was hard work during the summertime to be able to enjoy those things. And I hated weeded, weeding. It always seemed like I got stuck with weeding. And I didn't understand as a kid, why in the world are we weeding? Why are we doing this? But the, the process and the thought behind the weeding is those weeds are taking nutrients from the plants. If, if you have a garden, you have a, a tomato stash or, or some okra or some squash, you understand that, that those weeds are coming up and they're taking nutrients from the plants. And every weed you pluck out is a weed that's not siphoning something away from that plant that that plant needs. And so weeds are very important to get out. Now, in Matthew chapter 13, in the parable of the sower, uh, the Scripture talks about tares. And the tares look like wheat, but they're not. And so he says to, he says to let the, the wheat and the tares grow together, and at the time of harvest, we'll remove them. But there's, there's something about Mark chapter 4. Read Mark chapter 4, verses 3 through 20 when you get home. And pay close attention to that. Mark talks about thorns. Thorns. And Jesus says, you've got to remove the thorns. You've got to get the thorns out because the thorns will choke out the good crop. And that's what weeds do to our tomatoes and our squash and our okra and things like that. The thorns will choke out the good crop. So they have to be pulled out. If you want to care for your own vineyard, you're going to have to call some of that stuff out. That's, that's satanic stuff. That's evil stuff. That's wicked stuff. I, I hated standing out there in the garden. We were supposed to be on summer break. We were supposed to be having fun. But here I am out there with a hoe, hoeing and chopping, hoeing and chopping. Why? To get the weeds out. You've got to weed your vineyard. You've got to get the thorns out. You've got to get the suckers out and get them away from the plants in order to grow. And then not only weeds, but there's pests. There's all kind of pests in the garden, right? Have you, what about the serpent? Have you, ever, have you ever been in a pea patch and you're crawling under a bunch of peas, pull some peas, and look up, and there's a snake? 
Or ever been walking through a bunch of corn rows and you go to step and there's a snake? It'll get your attention, won't it? I was, uh, I've got a little box truck that I use as a shop now because I wanted, I wanted a mobile shop. I got all my tools in there, very similar to Brother Chapman's trailer that he pulls behind his truck. And I went out there one day and I opened the doors and I stepped up on the bumper and went to step in the shop. And about the time my foot got there, I looked down and realized there was a snake laying across the doorway. I about broke my neck <laughs> getting away from that snake. I wasn't sure what it was. I just knew at that time it was a snake. And his head was tucked in the corner, so I didn't know if it was poisonous or not. And I got a shovel and a stick, fished him out of there, and he was just a just old black snake, so I threw him down in the wood. But the serpent, where did, where did the serpent approach Eve and Adam at first? It was in the garden, wasn't it? You know why? Because serpents hang out in gardens because you got bunny rabbits that feed and you got mice that feed on the corn and things like that, and so that attracts the snakes, doesn't it? The snakes feed in the garden. But a serpent is a pest. I think he is, even if he's non-poisonous. If I know he's there, I'm okay. But if, I, if it startles me like that, I'll hurt myself trying to get away from it. But the serpent's got to go. He's got to go. Get him out of your vineyard. Get him out of your life. Not only serpents, but birds. Birds will ruin a crop. Say, birds? I love birds. I love to hear them sing. I love to... I love to feed the hummingbirds and see them in the summertime. I love birds. Birds will ruin a crop. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 20 says, Curse not. Now, the context of that is he's talking about curse not the king, curse not the rich man. But he says, Curse not, for a bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. What he's saying is what comes out of your mouth gets around, doesn't it? It'll usually beat you home. Uh, you say something, and it, it amazes me, the people that know about it, especially if it's bad, right? But the Scripture talks about birds, and that being an evil thing, gossip spreading. Birds are critters that will ruin a crop, and they'll ruin your vineyard if you don't keep your vineyard. Then there's mildew. Mildew will ruin a, a crop, uh, especially vine crops, something that's fruity. It's a, it's a very fine sticky fungus that'll grow on on the fruit and ruin the fruit and brethren there's a fungus among us every one of us has got it if you don't keep your vineyard it'll grow and get out of hand truth is none of us are perfect none of us are righteous none of us are holy we are all imperfect we will not be perfect until we get our glorified bodies so there's no sense in acting like it Every one of us has got some mildew. Every one of us has got some pests. Every one of us has got some weeds. But if you don't keep your vineyard, you'll not be able to help anyone else. That mildew, it takes a close, constant, a close walk, and a constant inspection by the Holy Spirit of God. The Scripture says, don't quench him. We can quench him very easily, can we not? He's there. He lives in us. But we don't exemplify the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't live by the power of the Holy Spirit if we quench him. Not only do we quench him, but we grieve him. Is there not times you say something or do something or think something 
and you can just feel the Holy Spirit in you go, mm. it's almost like it just takes the air out of you. We've got to keep our vineyards, folks. We cannot help anybody else until we take care of our own business. Not only is there predator control, but there's proper watering. Now, when you go to water a vineyard, it takes certain amounts of water at certain times of the day. You can't go out there and just pour water on it. But New Testament Scripture, turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. New Testament Scripture pictures water for the Christian. Now, proper watering is, is, is obvious in any, any plant situation. If you've ever dealt with a garden or even a flower bed, you know that it takes proper watering. And I'm not, I'm not saying tonight that we ought to limit our water. I'm saying as a Christian, you can't have too much water. And I don't mean baptismal water. Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 26. The Bible says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. It doesn't stop there. There's a comma. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy without blemish. Now, again, none of us are perfect. None of us are sinless. But we can't use that as an excuse either. We are to live as righteous and holy examples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you omit scripture from your life, you're not getting the washing that you need. We've got to have the washing of water by the word. Bible reading and healthy prayer life are the two most common things that Christians talk about, right? We always talk about our prayer life. We always talk about our Bible reading. But you know the two most important things that we overlook in our life? Bible reading and prayer life. We can't get enough of it. There's no way you can get too much Bible. My dad, of course, my dad's lost. Please continue to pray for my dad. My dad is a natural man, so he doesn't look at church and preaching the way that we do. And he says, why do you go to church so much? You must have a lot of sin in your life. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I am a sinner, but that's why I go to church. That's why I listen, to, I listen to preaching driving to work. I listen to preaching driving home. We were headed out to Taylorsville. The boys will tell you. We listen to preaching all the way, just about. If we're not listening to preaching, we're listening to quartet music. Every Sunday morning going to church, I've got quartet music on because I can think about what I'm preaching, but it also keeps worldly stuff out of my mind. Every Sunday morning going to church, I've got quartet music on. And not that I don't at other times during the week, but that's just, I can concentrate on what I'm preaching and concentrate on what's in my mind, but I don't have to worry about the background noise being wicked. I don't have to worry about what's going on in the back of my mind either. It's right. But we cannot get enough preaching. We, we were at Taylorsville, there were six or seven preachers a day. And we were on a high, were we not? You don't realize how good it is. You don't realize what a blessing it is until you leave. Even, even going to South Carolina to see John and Christy and, and their children, Ethan and Addie, Hayden was like, man, I miss Taylorsville. <laughs> it's good to see family. It's good to see cousins. But, man, I miss Taylorsville. And you don't realize it 
until it's absent from your life. You cannot get enough preaching. You cannot get enough Bible. You cannot get enough. There's no way. And so I encourage you, whatever your prayer life is, whatever your, your scripture time is, put more into it. Remember in, uh, in John chapter 13, Jesus gets down and he takes a pitcher and a bowl and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And he gets to Peter and Peter says, you're not washing my feet. Of course, I'm paraphrasing. But the Lord says, I'm washing your feet. He said, no, you're not. He said, I will or you have no part with me. And Peter said, well, then wash me all over. And what did Jesus tell him? You don't need to be washed all over. Your feet need to be clean. You know why your feet need to be clean? Because we walk around in this stinking world. Just like they walked around and all that dust and all the garbage and things that they went through, their feet had to be clean. They didn't need a bath all over. They just needed clean feet. And we walk around in this world day after day, and we don't realize the dirt and the stains and the junk that we pick up. And if we don't spend time in the Scriptures, we're not going to be cleaned. Jesus said, I'm cleaning your feet. And Peter said, all right, Lord, clean my feet. And so water is very, very, very important in the Christian life. Not only Scripture, but I encourage you to read other books. Read commentaries. Read study helps. If, if you have a question about an author or what a good book is, ask Brother Merritt. He'll be happy to tell you. He, he's a book man. He would be thrilled to set you in the right direction. I picked up a couple books this week that were biographies. Uh, Brainerd and McShane. Why do why you, why you read something boring like a biography? Because of what Brainerd and McShane were. They were great Christians. Robert Murray McShane, I will never be a McShane, but I want to know what made him great. I want to know what his mindset was. I want to know his thought processes, and I want to imply, uh, apply that to my life. And if I don't read it, where am I going to get it? You're not going to get it from CNN. You're not going to get it from Fox. Read those things. Read those biographies. Look back on those old Christians, those old Puritan writers. Look at what made them and apply those things to your own life. And so, yes, read your Bible. Don't let those replace the Bible, but read other things that will purify you, that will encourage you, that will help you to grow, and it will keep your vineyard clean. And then lastly, there's a pruning process. Pruning means to trim by cutting away. To trim by cutting away. Plants don't enjoy pruning. Uh, some of you folks that like doing garden work and, and, and yard work, you understand what pruning is. You have to prune trees. You have to prune bushes. I've got some stuff around the house, right up close to the house, that have been let go for several years. And this past February, I got the chainsaw out and went to working on them. Now, this year, they're looking terrible. But next year, I'll see the results of it. Uh, I had a, a Bradford pear in the circle part of my driveway and I've got another little one coming up but that Bradford pear when it was young split off and instead of trimming one pruning it and letting that trunk straighten up and be strong and straight I just let it go and a Bradford pear is very soft and and two Easter's ago when all the wind and the tornadoes came through that thing split in two almost went on the house it was huge Bradford pear 
but it's because I didn't prune it properly. I'd still have my tree, and I let some sprigs come up, and, and just a couple weeks ago, as a matter of fact, I cut all those sprigs away except for the one. I let, let, let springtime get past us and the tornado season get past us till I had one big enough and strong enough to stand on its own, and one day that tree will replace, replace that other Bradford pear, but if I'd have pruned it right, it'd still be there. Pruning helps the tree to grow. It helps the vines to grow. But there's three periods of pruning. First is dormant pruning. Dormant pruning. This is the most important pruning time of a plant's life. This sets the vine or the plant or the tree's structure for the coming growth. And it's the most crucial of all the periods. And you think, it's dormant. Why is it so crucial? Because it sets the tree or the plant or the vine for the coming years. Likewise, the pruning and the dormant periods of our lives are what's most necessary. Why are you dormant? There's a reason. Why am I dormant? Is it because of sin? Is it because of laziness? Is it because of of my attitude? Why am I dormant? Why is God not using me right now? There's a reason for it. And the pruning process in those dormant times are going to be the most crucial. And then there's shoot thinning. This happens during an early growth period, like springtime, when the young shoots that won't produce are cut off. So why, why would you take something that's fresh and something that's green and cut it off because it's not going to produce? So there's no sense in taking the nutrients away from the plant or the tree and the fruit for something that's not going to produce. The non-productive things in your life, cut it out. It's just that simple. Now, the tree doesn't like pruning. It's painful. When I first cut those limbs off those uh, crepe myrtles and stuff that had gotten out of hand, they were hurting. Next year, they'll be beautiful. We don't like the pruning either, do we? We don't like cutting stuff out of our life that we enjoy. But the non-productive things in our lives, folks, have got to go. If you're going to keep your own vineyard, there's going to be some things that you enjoy. They may not be sinful. They may not be wicked. There's, There's nothing wrong with them in and of themselves. But if they interfere with ministry or they interfere with what God's will is for your life, Or if they interfere with your growth, cut them out. Cut them out. And then there's shoot positioning. This is not necessarily a cutting process, but it is part of the pruning process because it's done to keep the fast-growing young shoots that you keep in their proper position for the best growth. What that means, if you've you've got a vine and, and it's all leaning to one side, you, you take some of those vines and you put up a trellis or, or a, wire, uh, uh, a wire, a piece of wire that they can grow on and you reposition those limbs so it fills in the holes. Everything's leaning this way, but you've got a big hole over here, right? So you position those vines on a trellis or something that they can grow on so that the whole plant bushes out and grows like it's supposed to. If you've ever had a, a, a peach tree or fruit tree or something growing in your yard that you want to keep 
and it begins growing and it's like this <laughs> we we take a string and and stake it to the ground and pull it back don't we and eventually it grows up straight that's what that pruning process is that's a positioning process that you fill in the holes with those vines and and so often what we do and, and I'm just as guilty that's why I say we but it's our it's our natural tendency to to get involved into this and to get involved into that and then take spiritual things and fill in the holes. But that's not keeping your vineyard. If you're going to keep your vineyard, you're going to have to put church first, revival first, the Lord first, each other first, and then fill in the holes with the other stuff. Priorities are our spiritual growth. Priorities are keeping our vineyard. And that encompasses a lot of things. But we, we say, well, you know, I, I would love to come to revival, but I just got so much going on, uh, I just can't, I'm not going to be able to make it to revival. That's not keeping the vineyard. I, I plan my work week around church. I'm, I'm exhausted. Been in Birmingham for the past couple of days, gone all last week. I'm exhausted. Wednesday night, my priority is church. Sunday, my priority is church. I can't sleep on Saturday night because I'm thinking about church and I'm thinking about what I'm preaching, even if I'm not preaching. When I wasn't preaching here, I love Sundays. I love church. I love being around God's people. My, I've worked for years on Sundays, but I've got it worked out to where I would do orders on Saturday if I had to and finish up on Sunday but I'm going to be in church. <laughs> if there's a revival, unless something hinders that I just can't control, I'm going to be in church. And I'm not bragging on myself, but I just I know me and I know how life is, and I just, I'm just using me as an example. But come revival time, I'm going to work things out to where I can be there. Taylorsville. Most of us probably took vacation to go. We'll go out to Brother Ken Trivett's. In South Dakota, most of us take vacation to go. You know why? That's a priority in our lives. Instead of filling, filling the holes in with God, if you're going to keep your vineyard, you're going to have to put God first. Fill the holes in with all the other stuff. If you can make it to the baseball game or the football game or to the deer hunting, and I'm not saying you can't go on vacation. We went on vacation last week, but I was in church on Sunday. If I can be in church, I'm going to be. I was as looking forward to going to their church in South Carolina as I was to Taylorsville. And it was a wonderful service. But if you're going to fill the holes in with the Lord, your vineyard's going to get away from you. We've got to set the Lord as the standard and spiritual things as the standard and then fill the holes in with other stuff. I was. Uh, Brother Tom Gillum was, was at Taylorsville last week. He preaches the first week uh, of, the, of the meeting. But he was, he was in the area a couple years ago and was able to come one Thursday night to the Institute and was able to preach a couple sessions of the Institute. And, and I hope he doesn't mind me sharing it. He shared it to us, so I'm sure he's, he's done it publicly before. But he said his love was gardening and flower beds and stuff like that. He loved yard work. 
and in the ministry, of course, most of his life, excuse me, but one Saturday he was doing his yard work like he normally does, and, and he had an immaculate yard. He loved having an immaculate yard. He loved the flowers and the trees, and just having a picture-perfect yard. And he finished one Saturday, and he stood back, and he looked at it, and he said, I was just enjoying it, taking it all in. And it's like the Holy Spirit said, now what good is that going to do for what I've called you to do? And he said he went in and he took a shower and he, he began cleaning himself up and getting all the dirt and the chiggers and who knows what off of him. And he said it just kept, it just stayed on him. It's like the Holy Spirit was just wearing him out. And the Holy Spirit was saying, what eternal weight does that yard have? You might have the yard of the month, but what does that mean in eternity? And I don't know what his yard looks like now. He probably still does some for enjoyment from time to time. But he said from then on, it didn't have the luster that it did. Because he was spending that time doing something that didn't really mean much. Instead of doing what God called him to do. And it's just our natural tendency, folks. That's just the way we are. We like to do what we like to do, don't we? There's things in my life that I've had to cut out. There's things in my life that still need to be cut out. But we can't, we can't make that the focus and then fill God in here and there. We have to make the Lord the focus and then fill all that other stuff in. Fill those holes in with all that other stuff or our vineyard's going to get away from us. She said, mine own vineyard have I not kept. If you're going to help someone to the fullest extent and you're going to live the life that the Lord intends for you to live, we've got to keep our own vineyard before we can help somebody else keep theirs. We'll have an invitation. If you would, stand. We'll have Miss Angie come.